Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. So late in the week, Friday, DMZ, but I think enough happened. What could have happened yesterday to make a Friday session uh, fortuitous for us? Yeah, it's good that we waited. I was actually supposed to be in Palm Beach, um, and I moved my schedule around. I packed. I, I got. I, I turned down an early early morning TV hit. Drove through uh, bad traffic because they have shut down Route 340 between Frederick and Harper's Ferry. Uh, drive to the airport, go through security, do the stupid human tricks, and they cancel my flight at the gate, uh, which pretty much sunk everything. So here we are, DMZ. <laughs> uh, so I'm um, sorry you missed out on a nice trip. Well, it all worked out, Bill. You and I are, are getting to do this. So That's, that, that's what matters, Matt. That's, Yeah. <laughs> so this, this is this is better than the breakers. <laughs> um well a lot happened amongst the House Republicans yesterday, uh as well as with Hunter Biden yesterday. I don't know if what you have what what, what do you think you have more to say on? Uh well we might as well let's go ahead and just start with the uh you know um Republicans in disarray, right? Um, and there's uh, impeachment of Joe Biden, which um, I'm down with impeaching Hunter Biden. I, I don't think there's yet enough evidence. There's circumstantial evidence uh, about Joe Biden, but there's no hard evidence mm -hmm. that Joe Biden's in, implicated in anything yet. I guess it's like you got to pass. We have to pass the bill to find out what's in the bill. We have to start an impeachment inquiry to find out if we can impeach him. Well, that is, I mean, that is kind of, I think, the gist of McCarthy's message. Uh, and it is a uh, ratcheting down the standard of when an impeachment inquiry begins. Uh, you And... Now, you know, Pelosi didn't do a vote before starting the inquiry. Uh, and uh, McCarthy had said that uh, we're not going to do it that way. Uh, and then very quickly reversed himself and did this because one presumes he couldn't count on there being 218 votes. There's, there's enough Biden district Republicans worried about their reelections who don't want to be seen as using impeachment as a partisan weapon. Uh, but because he has, so he has a discontent on his relative left flank about impeachment to go along with discontentment on his right flank about keeping the government open and spending levels and other uh, assorted demands that the far right has. Uh, McCarthy thought, well, maybe I can appease the far right and not upset the moderates if I just do an inquiry without a vote. Forget what I said two weeks ago to Breitbart. Uh, and that at least buys me time. It doesn't automatically guarantee that we're going to have an impeachment because we're, we're just investigating, uh, which of course you, you could be doing through an oversight committee and subpoena power as it is, you don't need an inquiry to do fact finding. It's, so it's so it's pretty cosmetic. It's pretty symbolic, and also seems to make nobody happy because yeah. the right saw through it as a tactic to shut them up. And you're not really seeing the moderates all that excited about going on the, the a fast track to impeachment. I mean, on one hand, maybe he should have kept it as a bargaining chip because it doesn't get him anything with the people who want a motion to vacate the seat. But on, on the other hand, how can you um, launch a, an impeachment or inquiry based on uh, a negotiation over a spending bill? So, you know, <laughs> that would undermine the premise that, that Joe Biden actually has committed high crimes and misdemeanors if it's a, if it's a bargaining chip. So I guess, he, I guess McCarthy probably did the best he could, uh, given the, uh, the position he's in. I mean, he's in a very bad position. And, um, you know, the only like I wrote a piece in the Daily Beast saying the only uh, benefit, the only advantage that McCarthy has is that 
he's willing to do whatever it takes to stay a speaker. And there's no one else more popular than him uh, with the conference that would replace him. So I think he goes through this ritual humiliation, um, but I don't know that they will actually be able to take him down. I don't think they'll take him down. Uh, And I am, you know, it's easy to mock McCarthy because he's in such a terrible position, because the caucus is so unruly uh, that if you want to just have fun, you'd make him your, your punching bag. Uh, and I don't think that's fair. I, I've said in the past, I thought he handled the debt limit negotiations very deftly. Uh, and I, and I was very consistent about that from the very beginning that I thought he was prepared to bargain with Biden in good faith and not go down a nihilistic path. And that proved true. And I think he's made very clear that shutdowns are stupid. He doesn't doesn't want to have one. So I do think that that is his primary objective right now is to get through because we, you know, the spending bills were only good through the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. You got to pass something by that date to keep the government open. I think all of his machinations right now are to try to keep the government open or to have any shutdown be very brief. Uh, And so I I respect him uh, insofar as that is the case. Um, does that mean every move that he's making right now is a good move? Uh, I I think he's getting nothing out of the impeachment inquiry move. That seems to be a wasted tactic that made nobody happy. Uh, so my my gut opinion is that that's that didn't help him. I understand why he did it, but I think I think I think it's bad to treat impeachment inquiries as bargaining chips and political ploys. So I think that is not good that he did that substantively and tactically. Um, But I do think he was smarter in the closed door meeting yesterday to dare the Matt Gaetzes say, you want to do motion to vacate, you know, shut the F up and do it. Uh, I think that was uh, a, a show of strength, a show of belief that they, they don't have the gumption to actually follow through. And even if they did, they wouldn't win. Yeah. Um, which, to the extent that's understood, gives him the latitude to put something on the floor to keep the government open, knowing that it's not going to get unanimous support from House Republicans, but will still pass with Democratic votes. Again, I don't know if that's what his literal next step is going to be. It seems like he's still trying to cobble something together that would be a party line vote spending wise. So he could have that as a ne- to negotiate with the Senate over. Um, but if they can't fire him, then he doesn't need them to pass spending legislation, uh, which is where we're going to end up uh, almost certainly. Some yeah. like the debt limit deal saying that passes with democratic votes. So I think that Democrats would certainly uh, vote with him to, fund the government. And so he doesn't need the Freedom Caucus um, to keep the government open if he chooses to go that route. However, if there is a motion to vacate, and you know, with the caveat that I think eventually he would emerge as the speaker, because uh, you can't beat somebody with nobody, and I don't think there's anybody better uh, that would be more acceptable to more Republicans. But Democrats wouldn't help him there, right? This would they would this would be a Republican. Democrats vote for Hakeem Jeffries, uh, and uh, McCarthy would have to go well, through that. Well, first, the motion to vacate. The motion to vacate is is just a, a referendum on: Are we keeping McCarthy or not? Are we vacating this position? And one, so one senator could, I'm sorry, one House member can do the motion, right? Then how does it play out after that? Then you have a vote on that motion. Are we vacating the speaker's chair or not? So it's not a vote. He could lose four Republicans and that's it, right? So there would be like more than four. He, that the, the, the seat would be vacated. If then, Democrats vote with the renegade Repo- Republicans, and I do not think we should assume that, um, 
We had a moment with John Boehner in 2015. This wasn't known at the time, but has been reported since that Boehner went to Pelosi and said, if there's a motion to vacate, will you instruct your Democrats to vote present so there won't be uh, a majority vacating the speaker's chair? And Pelosi said, yes, I will do that, not because I have your back, but because I have the institution's back. We can't let But now you're talking about a guy who is trying to impeach their president. And back in January, it was a little bit different because McCarthy was simply running for speaker. But Democrats voted for Hakeem Jeffries, I think. When it's an actual speaker vote, you're not going to ever see a Democrat vote literally for McCarthy. That'll get get used against you. Um, But if you're voting present for the motion to vacate vote, you're not technically voting for, I want McCarthy to be speaker, but you're denying a splinter group to dictate who the speaker is. Uh, and that, in, in Pelosi's view, was like, that was respecting the institution. We can't have, you know, a group of 15 people, 10 people firing speakers. That's that's going to destabilize an institution. Do you, so, and do you believe that that would happen again? I do. I mean, I don't know that for a fact. You know, I think when Jeffries has been asked, he hasn't answered the question directly. But it, it, it just stands the reason that Democrats don't want the Freedom Caucus to dictate who's the speaker precisely because it would mean risk of shutdown, risk of debt limit default. They don't want if that. I'm, if I'm a Democrat, you'll do that much. You'll do that no, much but if I'm the Democrats, I want chaos in the Republican Party. To a point. To I a want point. them to, and I assume Kevin McCarthy is going to be elected speaker on the 20th ballot after... Well, well, you, well, you can't know that. If he's fired, you can't you you can't assume that. The next second, McCarthy has shown that he's not the worst. <laughs> he will not like set everything on fire, and so that's about as good as Democrats can hope for right now. And they're not going to be eager to see him go and, and take a chance to who comes next. All right. Well, before we move on, I mean, any more thoughts on that? How that plays out? Uh, I think well, right now it just it's it's not. My general take is that this is not good for Republicans. In fact, I think it was Kevin McCarthy who said, like, you know, um, Jennifer Granholm can't get her electric vehicle to (laughs) charge and uh, Hunter Biden's being indicted. And yet here we are, you know, like the focus of attention because we can't uh, keep the government open. Well, you know, I think there's there's a certain concern. So you got two things here. You got the impeachment thing and you, and you got the shutdown thing. Uh, on the impeachment, there's definitely some muscle memory among some that impeaching Clinton was bad politically, backfired. It just boosted up Clinton's ratings. Uh, so, and this is a case where they they had some goods. He was having an, an affair, um, but. The, but it's, it just seemed kind of trivial in the wake of a good economy. Um, uh, and so there's 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 a latent fear that Republicans are going to do something that shoots themselves in the foot. So some Republicans, particularly in the Biden districts, are nervous about that. The initial polling suggests this is just one more polarizing thing that doesn't move the needle. You know, Democrats hate it. Republicans like it. Some folks in the middle shrug their shoulders. Uh, so as of yet... It doesn't look like an obvious thing that boosts Biden's poll numbers. Uh, now, maybe they start it and they they dig a dry well and they can't let go. And then the numbers turn in Democrats favor. But that's something you can't you don't see it yet in the numbers. Now, if they have a shutdown, which McCarthy doesn't want, but they don't have a lot of time. And if they they're, they're, you know, the initial thing the Republicans insisted they were going to do was to pass the 12 individual appropriations bills. There are 12 appropriations subcommittees. They each work on their individual bill. They cover you know, certain combinations of, of the federal departments. Uh, the House does their version. The Senate does their version. They didn't have a House-Senate conference. They iron out the differences. That's how it normally works, though it hasn't worked that way in some time. And so what has happened is they get down to the wire. They pass some kind of stopgap 
uh, bill to keep the government open called the continuing resolution. They negotiate what's called an omnibus package, which is all the appropriations bills stuffed into one giant thing, which the hard right hates. They say this is slipping in stuff that it's too big and things get hidden and we can't read it all in 48 hours and we hate this thing and we're not going to do that again. So all year, they're like, we're going to do 12 individual bills. How many have passed the House so, so far? One. Uh, so, and the, now the Senate's been doing theirs. Uh, they've done all 12 yet, but I think they're on a better track. Uh, but the House, the House can't even get their own bills on the floor because they're fighting over so many things internally. And so to keep the government open at this stage would require a stopgap continuing resolution, which typically is like an autopilot deal, which the hard right folks don't want. They're like, this is already too much money. They're ignoring the fact that we already had a debt limit deal that had budget spending caps. They don't, they don't, they don't want, they don't like that deal. They want to, they want to undo that deal and go lower. Uh, and so if McCarthy is trying to cobble together a stopgap stop bill that's Republican only, that then requires time to negotiate the differences between that and what's in the Senate uh, stopgap bill, which I don't even think has, has happened yet, uh, but presumably would happen. Um, there's not a guarantee they're going to iron out those differences in time. Uh, and so and, and maybe they would, you know, maybe they would iron out the differences and McCarthy would bring it to the floor by September 29th or the 30th and the Freedom Caucus would be mad and they would just suck it and they'd lose and that would be it. Possible scenario. Uh, another is that you cross the threat, you, you cross the threshold, you go past September 30 without a deal, you have a shutdown, uh, but it's brief, and we get to that same place, you know, in, in you know a few days, uh, or you have a protracted shutdown. I, I think once you're in shutdown mode, everything else you're debating gets pushed aside, and the the issue of the moment is, why are you in shutdown? Should we be in shutdown? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go back to 2013, there, some polls said, people don't like Obamacare. We should defund Obamacare. You shut down the government over it. That's not what you're debating anymore. You're debating the shutdown. Yeah. Uh, which is why every time this happens, you know, Gingrich in 95, Cruz in 2013, briefly Schumer and Pelosi in 2018 over Dreamers. And then a year later with Trump himself in the border wall, every single time the party instigating the shutdown does not get the policy demand they're asking for, they take a hit in the polls and they surrender every single time. Because once it happens, you're debating the shutdown and not the policy demand. Uh, And so if you're McCarthy and McConnell, they know we'd much rather be talking about the economy, inflation, Biden's incompetence, maybe his age, maybe Hunter, anything but our own inability to keep the government open. And you saw one Republican, Bob Good, saying this will be let's let's pass our Republican spending bill. If the, if the Democrats have said don't like it, then it's the Schumer shutdown. It's another Schumer shutdown. No one's going to buy that. Yeah, I've it heard never that before. Works. I've heard that before. And Bill. You know, at least with the Obamacare thing in 2013, you knew what Republicans wanted. I mean, it's not that clear to me. I know the Freedom Caucus, I believe they want to return to pre-COVID spending levels. Right. um, Which sounds fine to me, but I don't think you could pass a Democratic Senate with that, right? It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I think they want to like, well, it's not clear if they want to defund the DOJ and law enforcement and the intel community, but uh, I've heard talk about them wanting to kind of get revenge on the the quote-unquote deep state. And uh, they want to quit giving um, a blank check to Ukraine. And I don't know what that means. Does it just mean better oversight or does it mean they want to quit funding Ukraine against Russia's invasion? So um, there's an emergency appropriation asked from Biden for Ukraine that they don't want to fund. Uh, and, and, and how can security are that? Like, is this an opening bid that they would that they would negotiate, or are these all? Who knows? But are like, it's are it's, these it's, all it's like, definitely murky. Like, what is really their absolute bottom line? 
what is what what are they really gonna you know uh, go to the mat over? I would think it is probably the pre-COVID spending levels. But again, this is not the demand of the Republican conference. It's not the demand of the Senate Republican uh, uh, caucus. It's the demand of maybe a dozen, two dozen House Republicans. Uh, so, and, and, and that ask will never, ever, ever be accepted on the Senate side, never be accepted by Joe Biden. I mean, Mitch McConnell himself said the House is planning to uh, go below the agreed upon spending caps. We will not be replicating that in the Senate. You don't even have the Senate Republicans on board for that. Uh, so it's it's a dead on arrival ask. And so the only way they have the power to shut down the government is if McCarthy gives them that power by not putting spending bills on the floor that adhere to the agreement that he made in the spring with Joe Biden and passed both chambers with robust bipartisan votes. I think McCarthy is perfectly willing to do a bill like that, but feels he has to go through some kabuki before he gets there. And I just don't know. And maybe he's like, maybe we can squeeze a little bit more out of them. Maybe, maybe we can pass our own spending bill that's that's stingier and have a negotiation. I can get a little bit more out of them that way. Maybe he would ideally like to do that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, he would be willing to do bills that meet the standards of the deal he made four months ago and do it with Democratic votes because he does not want the Freedom Caucus to dictate how things go and knows that they can't let him dictate how things go. So do you think like his first... His first option is to try to get a reasonable, plausible compromise um, to pass the House. And then if that doesn't work, he tries to break the Freedom Caucus and say, OK, we're going to pass this bill with Democratic support. Yeah. I, I, now, I think- now, now you can no longer hold me hostage. Yeah, I I, th- <clears throat> I mean, it seems like. His first step he wants to do is to pass a Republican bill, unite the Republican caucus around some bill as the first step and negotiate from there. So he can, he can at least go to the Senate and say, look, this is what my part, this is how we handle the debt limit bill. His first step was, here's what my party wants. Uh, and so he can say anything that goes less than this is difficult for me to get my, my party around. Uh, so we have to start from here. Uh, and you know, but what happened with the debt limit deal was even taking that step, it was such a paper thin agreement that he made clear, like we all just voted for this, knowing this is not going to be the final bill. So it was kind of a weak first bid, but he does, he does prefer to start there. Um, and so either he gets there and they have some negotiations afterwards, or he can't get there and he has to start from a weaker place. And, in either track, it's not clear if that is going to necessitate some form of shutdown, some period of shutdown. Uh, it kind of seems like there's going to have to be that he will have to cross that threshold before he feels he can say, look, kids, we got to do this with Democrats. This is insane. You're going to destroy us by going any further. Um, and uh, the only reason why you might not feel that's necessary I think like I think animals destroying some food. I might have to step away for a second. Um, some bag a of domestic animal food. or a, a, an intruder. <laughs> a domestic animal. Because um, I have cats and dog that are just. I mean, the dog is the dog is napping, so it'd be one of my garbage cats tearing into some like bag of Cheez-Its or something. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, if, if McCarthy concludes these jokers can't pull a motion to vacate one way or another. It doesn't matter when I move to a bipartisan bill, they can't get rid of me. So who cares if it's the 28th or 29th, October 3rd, whatever. Uh, maybe he would get there. But I, I do think he's enough of, enough of a partisan, as was you know Boehner and others. They don't like having to pass a bipartisan bill until they absolutely have to. So I think he wants to draw this process as long as he can and see what he can get you know, 218 for first. I mean, I can't imagine he likes Matt Gates 
who has been, you know, gave this speech on the floor talking about how, you know, Kevin McCarthy hasn't complied with the agreement that got him elevated. Cheez-Its? Uh, goldfish. They got into, I got, I got a door open with some shelves on and some snacks on it. They took down a snack-sized bag of goldfish, both cats, tore it apart, started munching. So um, Breaking news in the DMZ. <laughs> another day. All right. Well, I guess we, we could go on about this, but let's maybe let's segue into uh, one of our other pressing topics. Well, I mean, obviously we have the Hunter indictment. Uh, I, my general view about the Hunter stuff is that it largely doesn't uh, backsplash on Biden. Uh, you do see in polling, I would, I'd say a larger number than I would have thought, uh, saying that Biden is corrupt in some ways than something inappropriate with Hunter. Um, but I'm still skeptical that is affecting his overall job approval. I mean, you're not seeing his job approval going lower from where it was previously after the Hunter stuff has had, uh, fresh attention since the plea deal collapsed and the special counsel was named. I mean, Biden's job approval has been basically the same. The Trump v. Biden numbers are basically the same. You might argue that there was a little bit of movement towards Trump uh, in the August numbers. But if you look at this, the you know, Real Clear Public's just finally put their graphic of the rolling average Trump v. Biden over the course of the past year. I mean, it's pretty stable. You know, there's a part where Biden's a little bit ahead or Trump's a little bit ahead, but it's all like within the margin of error, dead heat stuff. Well, th this latest indictment seems to me to be like the least likely to impact Joe Biden anyway, right? This is about Hunter Biden filling out a form to get a firearm where he said that he was not taking narcotics or something right. like that, right. right? Right. I mean, obviously the, the bigger game for Republicans is to be able to argue that Biden did something illegal helping Hunter get money from foreign governments, yeah. particularly when he was a sitting vice president. Now, what I want to know, though, is will the NRA come to Hunter's support? Because I'm sure they will do no such thing. There have to be a lot of NRA members who are gun purchasing guns and also on some sort of drugs. Well, so. I, think, <laughs> I think there was a statement from the Gun Owners of America, which is to the right of the NRA, and they basically said, you know, Hunter should be subject to the same laws as every other American, uh, which sort of glosses past that most Americans don't get charged with this kind of crime. Even if they commit it, they, they may not actually get charged with it. Right. This is so low level that it's it's not really considered important by most prosecutors. That's my understanding, at least. Um, but uh, but I don't think but all the all the gun rights groups are so partisan at this point, they're not willing to make the principled case that uh, we should not be taking away Second Amendment rights, even if someone is um, abusing drugs. You know, they, 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 don't, they don't care to make that point. I mean, I think I think there's a chance that, you know, Comer and the Republicans do come up with some evidence that Joe Biden, um, I mean, that he crossed the line in terms of profiting off of, uh, you know, Hunter's business deals, taking a percentage. I mean, we've got, according if, to the Republicans, they have to work on it. They've had uh, eight months, nine yeah. months. Well, they yeah. really need to put up the evidence, I think. Um, but, you know, but there are former Hunter Biden uh, partners who have testified that Joe Biden was involved. There's the whole the big guy thing. But they, uh, but they, but they definitely stopped short of arguing that Biden was doing something knowingly and deliberately to uh, be involved with the Hunter business himself. You know, the, the main guy they had said, yeah, Biden would sometimes hop on a call and say hello. Uh, but never they discussed any kind of business. Yeah. Uh, that, that's you know, that, that's the best they have. It is sketchy. I mean, if I'm 
if I'm Hunter Biden and I'm meeting with people and I'm telling people how you know my dad's going to help them out with something, and then I put him on the phone and he says hi, that's signaling that uh, the access that you would have. But if but if there was no, if, if no help followed, I know, but I just don't think my dad ever jumped on a business call I was involved in to say hi to people. Like, it just why would that? You're Why a bad businessman, Matt. What's that? You're a bad businessman. <laughs> Apparently. And what, and what access was your dad offering? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. That's the point. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's implausible where like Hunter, like, apparently he talks to Hunter every day. Uh, and uh, if I was... I mean, I, I don't talk to my parents. Uh, I, I I did not I did not previously talk to my parents every day. I talk to my mom approach every day now. But um, if I was if I had that kind of relationship, and I was, and I had some work that I did where I was in meetings regularly, uh, maybe my dad would my parent would call, and I'd be in something and be like, "Hey, can you say hello to the people I'm talking to?" Um, and it wouldn't necessarily mean like we're going to talk about our business plan after the meeting is done with, with my parent with, with my parents. Uh, so I, I just think you need to have more than that yeah. to well, charge these a crime. What about these shell companies that were set up that apparently foreign governments were funneling money to? Well, again, what's the evidence that Joe Biden was involved in that? Yeah, it just seems very... Weird. Your dad's the president. I think Republicans are very happy to have the public feel the way you're feeling right now. If all that happens out of this is by November 2024, people are like, you know, that Joe Biden, Hunter Biden stuff, that's kind of sketch. It's kind of sus. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean I think you got the goods for impeachment. I want him out of office right now. But it's, that makes me feel uneasy enough about it that you'd be like, well, Trump did this, but I think Joe did this too. And so it's all kind of a wash. Like that's kind of where they sure they want to stand up. I, I doubt they really think they're going to get a smoking gun and actually impeach and convict. Um, but uh, put enough insinuating stuff out there so people feel uneasy. That's yeah. what they want. Well, it definitely up. muddies the water. And well, Trump did this bad stuff, but look at what Joe Biden has mm -hmm. done. So there's definitely a political benefit, but... You know, I think you're right in the sense of like if it if it comes down to having to write like an impeachment document where you're listing Biden's high crimes and misdemeanors, I don't know what you put in that paper. Um, and at some point, doesn't it look like he's been exonerated? <laughs> like, well, I think that that's where it gets dicier for Republicans. So like right now, they're probably getting as much out of this as they could hope for casting a dark cloud over Biden. But as it gets more formalized and you have more hearings and you have to put things down on paper, at what point does the media coverage turn to say, okay, we they had months and months to find something more than this and they have not found it. Uh, and the other part that I think, you know, as it stands today, public perception of the economy is still not good. So you're not getting the same impact that you had with Joe Biden, uh, with, with Bill Clinton in 1998, where people are like, this economy is great, and I already knew he cheats on his wife, so who cares? Get out of this guy's business and let the economy, you know, let the economy run, run fast. Um, people don't feel, feel that way about the economy right now, but maybe a year from now. If we're on the same track, that people might feel like, you know what, the economy is going pretty yeah. well, and you can't, and you haven't found Jack. So well, my take in '98 was that Bill Clinton should be impeached, um, and I didn't. A good economy wasn't going to dissuade me of that. You personally? Oh yeah, me personally, because I thought, and I feel the same way about Bill Clinton that I feel about Donald Trump. Um. In fact, I think in some ways, Bill Clinton paved the way for Donald Trump. Um, and, 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 and the people defending Bill Clinton and his character issues and, you know, all that. We don't want to relitigate that. Um, let's move on, Bill. Let's move on to uh, probably, I guess, so to be our final topic of the day.
the opposite of Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, Mitt Romney, who uh, is not going to be seeking re-election in Utah. Uh, I think it's bad for the country. Uh, I mean, I'm not someone, you know, there's definitely a certain you know, debate on the left, like how much should you respect Mitt Romney? Uh, I mean, say, some people are like, you Democrats should feel bad about what you did to Mitt Romney in 2012. He's such a decent guy. And some say Mitt Romney sucked in 2012 and did lots of horrible things and deserved what he got. Uh, and, I have, and I have no reason to respect him now. And I'm, I'm sort of in between those points. I think Mitt Romney said plenty of things worthy of scorn uh, in the 2012 campaign and was hit fairly on them, maybe with the exception of the Russia uh, tax return thing that Harry Reid pushed. But well, I was going to talk about uh, the 1980s call. They want their foreign policy. Well, I've written about this. I think I think Mitt Romney was still wrong about that. He he had a very superficial take on Russia that essentially would have meant you shouldn't negotiate with Russia on anything, including the Iran nuclear deal. Now, you may not like the Iran nuclear deal, and so that doesn't bother you. Uh, I think the Obama administration was correct in negotiating the Libya UN re- resolution to start that military operation and get Russia to abstain on that successfully. I thought their negotiation with Russia on the Iran nuclear deal were successful and smart, and I wish Trump didn't upend that deal, and it was in place today. Uh so, like, the fact that Putin is, like, not a good guy, like, is not enough of no, a good call to make to dictate the, smart foreign policy decisions. No, but wasn't the specific line Romney said that Russia is our number one geopolitical foe or something like that? And that's what Obama said. Well, that's what happened. That's what happened in the, in the debate. Yeah, that's but what I'm talking read, about. But you read Mitt Romney's book where he expands on it. I mean, the that point Romney was making was a justification to not negotiate with Russia about these other things and not treat them like a superpower in good stead to, to help, you know, manage world affairs and just sort of kick them to the curb. I mean, he, I mean, Mitt Romney wanted to force the Ukraine issue at that time. I uh, have Ukraine and NATO, which you, you can easily say now, well, well, of course he should have done that. But at the time, I mean, you need unanimous, NATO support for that, which yeah. did not exist in 2012. The polling within Ukraine was not uh, in, in favor of it. Yeah, they were very divided over it. So if Mitt Romney was getting ahead of the curve and forcing that issue, he was going to divide NATO, which actually plays into Putin's hands. So I was think he didn't. He, his initial insight was not strong enough to justify the other foreign policy steps he wanted to take. I mean, I was Romney. never a, a Romney fan. He struck me as authentic. He struck me as a flip-flopper. All true. He's, he's, he's um, sure he knocks on him. Uh, Provable criticisms. Um, but I also think that the way the left and the Democrats went after him, you know, binders full of women, war on women, Seamus the dog on the roof of the car, they really came hang, hammer and tong after this guy, destroyed a good man, and I think that may be one of the most consequential. Everybody says that this is the most important election. But if Mitt Romney wins that election in 2012, um, Donald Trump doesn't become president. The whole world is different. But because Romney lost to Obama in that election, and then, and then Obama, of course, makes fun of Donald Trump at that White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, that was incredibly destructive. And I think that led to the Republican radicalization. And well, I, again, I don't think Democrats should be blamed for winning a presidential campaign. Against, the way they did it was pretty despicable, I still say. Um, so w- what do we say about the way George Bush went after John Kerry? You know, I mean, they, they, I mean, there are plenty of presidential campaigns going back to literally the founding 1800 where like a certain amount of hardball is played. I don't think anything that happened in 2012 was in any way remotely close to going outside the bounds of the normal of presidential campaigning of the last 200 plus years. I mean, they uh, were basically, they, Mitt Romney is this boy scout. And they were like, if Mitt Romney wins the election, this will be the last election we ever have. This guy's a crazy right winger who's going to 
He was he it's, was saying crazy right wing things. He, he was he was severely conservative. Self deport. The forty seven percent are you know don't deserve their their tax breaks. Uh, he was saying stuff that was worthy of criticism. Uh, but but as a senator, uh, even even though he sucked up to Donald Trump initially after Trump won, angling for a, a cabinet appointment. Well, once he got in the Senate, you could argue that. You could argue that that was a noble thing to do. I, well, whatever you think about it, uh, once he was a senator, he was a good senator. I mean, again, I, I'd rather have a Democrat than a Republican in the seat. But as far as Republicans go, he approached the job in a responsible way. He tried to get things done. He was not a nihilist. He was not an obstructionist. Uh all the things that Biden got done, uh, that uh, with the exception of the uh, Party Line Inflation Reduction Act, were done with Romney's help. Chips Act, uh, I, I believe he voted for the gun safety. Well, I'm going to go back and check. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he voted for all. And it got to 60. I'm pretty sure he was on. Uh, and that's not an insignificant part of the Biden agenda. He approached the job as someone trying to do the right thing for the country and working with whoever was in charge to do the best bill that he possibly could within his set of principles, which is how people should approach the job. Uh, and uh, to lose that is to, I mean, it's not that easy to get the 60. You know, some people thought it couldn't be done at all and they were wrong, but it's not simple. And to lose one more person willing to uh, take the job seriously is a detriment. It's, it's going to hurt the country yeah. I mean, unless he's replaced by someone similar, which I'm not optimistic about. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. You and I uh, did it in our extensive pre pre gaming. We we discussed this, and I'm I'm writing a column about it for the Beast today. Um, you know, there was a there was a column in the New York Times, Bill, that basically made the case like Mitt Romney wants to pass the torch to a new generation. Uh, that's what he said. He said he's too old, and it, it, it's time to move over for younger people. And yet, at the same time. Those younger people like Josh Hawley and J.D. Vance, the sort of the rising stars on the right, are people that Romney doesn't agree with and he disdains them. And um, it doesn't appear. And I talked to our friend Chuck Warren, and I'm hoping to talk to some more Utahns. Um, but it doesn't appear that Romney has really laid the groundwork for a successor. And if I, I'll just put it to you this way. If I were tomorrow a U.S. senator from West Virginia. Um, probably 25% of my time would be focused, and I could outsource this to, you know, operatives and aides, but would be to, like, identify, recruit, and help elect local leaders who share my values and to create, like, a farm club. And at some point, when I got to be Mitt Romney's age, and I knew retirement was imminent, um, I would then spend like 80% of my time making sure that I have a successor in place who can hopefully succeed me. You know, there's this John Maxwell line, um, without a successor, there is no success. Why isn't Romney, like, it seems like he's doing all these noble things. And then he's like, okay, guys, you're on, you're on your own. Um, I get why he wants to leave. Can't fault him for that. But I think, don't you think it's incumbent upon him, part of his responsibility, if he actually cares about these things, that he would um, go out of his way to try to have an heir apparent? Well, I mean, you know, he's in his upper 70s. I mean, if if he wants to say, look, I did my time and I, I don't want to spend my retirement here. I want to go do some other things like politics decide that like, he's allowed to quit. You know, he's allowed to go live his life. Uh, but he's saying that he wants to be engaged in a fight for the future of the Republican Party, that he's openly disdainful of the Trump wing and other folks in the populist wing who don't take governing seriously, don't care about policy. Um, uh, he's saying that's important to him. Uh, that doesn't jibe with the other thing that he said, which is uh, it's time for, I'm, I'm going to be in my 80s and people who are in their 80s should step aside from the next generation and new leaders. A lot of the next generation are people are in the wing of the party that he hates. Uh, and uh, so if the direction of the party and the country matters to him, uh, 
he should have either a done more spade work. We not, I mean, it may not be like I want to like get you know tagged to be the next senator, vote for him because we have the same the last name. That might not go down well with people, but to do a lot of work with the Utah Republican Party. I mean, the governor of Utah is definitely in the same ideological space as him. Uh, bond together to like figure out how to put out an argument to the Utah Republicans that we need these kind of Republicans to make the country function well, make our state function well, and identify candidates who are going to have good um, yeah, recognition. Because, uh, because the other guy is Mike Lee. Right, right. We don't want another Mike Lee. Exactly, exactly. We and, want another Spencer Cox or like Mia Love. I think, didn't she have some health issue or something? I forget why she stepped aside. Um, but, but she definitely... Uh, parted ways with Trump yes. uh, later on. So perhaps she's more in that, in that space now. Um, so yeah, I, if, if that's important to him, he should have done more work on that. And if he's like, you know what, I'm the only guy keeping my finger in the dike, then maybe you suck it up for six more years uh, yeah. and, and hold the line instead of just like, I mean, I, I mean I, I, there's been other people who quit who are in the middle of the Senate who have been people trying to get the 60 on things who quit and then blame the system for not working for why they're quitting when they should be saying, if I don't want these, if I don't want the in, the lunatics to run the asylum, then I should stay and help make the system work because it requires people like me sticking around to do that. Yeah. Either you keep doing the job or you find someone else who can do the job for you, you know, to just like walk away and be like, go burn it all down and out so I can complain about it on CNN that to me does not feel like um, responsible thinking. It just doesn't make sense. You know, you want to expand the leadership. Like that should be an implicit part of the job. If you care about your values, if you care about your philosophy, um, you should be devoting serious resources into identifying, recruiting, training, placing, electing, grooming i'll say i'll say the word grooming <laughs> uh, successors it's a part of the job and it just it it, it seems like uh there are, are are people my my it feels like romney as someone who um has things he really believes in and, and important issues he's championed um but he's a little bit of an individualist and he's like okay guys now you're on your own good luck I mean, this is not perfectly analogous, but, you know, Romney's dig at people over 80 who can't let go is obviously a dig at Biden. I think he said afterwards that he, did, he doesn't want Biden to run again. Um, and look, the, you know, the, the AOCs and the Bernie Sanderses of the Democratic Party are not of the same ilk as the Trumps and the Matt Gases. You know, they're, they're, they're Democratic socialists or not nihilists. Um, but... They probably don't have the same chances of defeating a Trump-like candidate. They don't have the same middle-of-the-road appeal. I mean, certainly I think in 2020, um, Biden was essentially indispensable. He was probably the only Democrat in the field who ran for president. Uh, certainly, I think he had the best chance of beating Donald Trump. And so... Um, Yes, he was old. He was old then. He had lost a step then. But part of the reason that that old people like Biden are necessitated is that the next generation isn't always ready to step up. I mean, I think that there is a, a Kamala Harris is a prime example. I mean, the person that they made, Biden's heir apparent, is not popular. And is not um, nobody's clamoring for her to replace him, and therefore uh, it, it complicates the the prospect of Biden of Biden bowing out and not running for re-election. And I think that's part of the story. Is that it's part of it? I I do think <clears throat> that um, I think people have overstated Harris's potential weakness. I mean, I can't tell you that she'd be a lock, uh, but her polling is. A little bit worse than Joe Biden's. It's like like her approval is like three points worse. That's not all that unusual between a president and a vice president. I know, uh, but when his poll is at thirty percent, but I I think it is 
I mean, my hopes less expectation based on historical uh, uh, examples is if the economy continues to to mend, uh, that his job approval number will go up, her number will go, will go up alongside it. Uh, and I mean, you, and there, I don't know if there'd be the same assumption that she is that she's dragging the ticket down right now. Um, no, I'm just saying that we would be more likely to have these old people step aside if there was a obvious yes strong generation waiting to fill their space right i mean the tricky thing here is that the way for a president to groom an heir apparent is to have that be the vice president but the vice presidency is an inherently fraught position that doesn't allow someone to easily show off their 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 best selves so you can you can knock Kamala all you want. It's not a given that someone else in that position would necessarily be having, you know, an, e- an easy easy time of it. Um, whereas a two-term vice president probably has got a pretty good run at being the nominee next time around, no matter what your misgivings are about her. Um, so look, I mean, uh, Biden obviously has um, weaknesses, uh, but to be neck and neck with Trump now, uh, the Nate Cohn piece this week, I think is very interesting saying the, the presumption that there's a three, four point edge uh, in the battleground states for for a Republican, giving them an electoral college advantage, that's not bearing out in the more recent data that we are seeing. And it may actually be a wash right now. They actually estimated the edge to be 0.7 versus, I, I think, a three point something edge in 2020. Um, so if things are essentially dead heat now and the economy is going to get better, which is not a given. I mean, could the economy get worse? Uh, but if it did, then Biden would be the odds on favorite and everyone's panicking over nothing. Uh, if the economy is getting worse, ditching Biden for anybody else, even if it's a Gretchen Whitmer, uh, that person is still going to run on Biden-like policies. So it's not necessarily an upgrade the only upgrade you get is on age. But if age isn't the main thing, if the main thing is the economy, then swapping out doesn't get you anywhere. All right. Fair point. Bill, what do you want to plug? Uh, well, I got my piece up at the monthly this week about uh, McCarthy's predicament and the history of failed shutdown ploys. That's at the Washington Monthly. Uh, so check that out. All right. Well, check my stuff at The Daily Beast. And my podcast, Matt Lewis in the News. And we will see you back here in the DMZ next week. All right. Take care. See ya.